The reading of the scriptures, Psalm 123, I invite your hearing and faith and reverent attention to uh, the public reading of God's word from Psalm 123. A song of ascents. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Uh, we, uh, we certainly embrace uh, the theology that uh, we are uh, on a journey to heaven, and on that journey we encounter uh, countless uh, threats, uh, not the least of which uh, are people who want to intimidate us to quit. Great illustration of this, is there not, uh, in uh, our Savior. Uh, I wondered when studying this psalm if perhaps uh, he thought of it uh, when uh, he is uh, about to uh, uh, be led to the cross. Uh, many forces were going, or attempting to intimidate him to leave off being faithful. Uh, to, uh, to quit the journey. Uh, but, uh, but he doesn't, of course. And again, I speculate that uh, in, in his uh, great uh, moments of prayer, uh, in preparation to go to the cross, if this psalm did not uh, come to mind. Uh, of course, again, purely speculation, but notwithstanding that, uh, we're on a similar journey and uh, it comes to our minds. And the psalmist will tell us how to prepare for steadfastness in our journey that we can go the distance because that is a principal issue of journeying to heaven, of course, going the distance. Uh, the psalmist uh, offers a prayer while waiting upon the Lord to give relief from the contempt of, uh, of the wicked, uh, the essence of the psalm. It's a pilgrim psalm, as you know that was written uh, to prepare the uh, uh, pilgrims in their journey to Jerusalem for one of the three great uh, pilgrim feasts. The men were commanded to go, to leave their homes, to go to Jerusalem to worship God. Uh, unfortunately, there is no internal evidence of the historic occasion for the writing uh, of this psalm other than uh, mocking and contempt. Uh, which is, uh, of course, the subject matter, verses 3 and 4. The only connection I can make uh, for the psalmist is that while he is making preparation to go uh, for traveling uh, to Jerusalem for the great pilgrim feast, or perhaps even beyond preparation for the journey itself, that his neighbors ridicule his faith and his devotion to the Word, Perhaps while he's traveling, really, really, you're going to Jerusalem? 
Why don't you stay at home? Keep your family, keep your crops, or whatever. Just intimidate him. You say, well, that can't be the historic occasion, but that's really the history of the Old Testament. Uh, the mocking of those who desire to be faithful. Uh, that, that, that comes from one's own countrymen. Uh, in the case of the psalmist, uh, it comes from his countrymen that want him to leave off his journey. Uh, one of the great uh, challenges that you and I face are professing Christians who, who try to get us to leave off devotion to historic orthodoxy. Stay at home. Have a good time. Really, I think, uh, exactly the historic occasion of the writing of this psalm. Uh, and if you're a Christian, you will face this all of your life. All of your life. Uh, particularly as you witness to Christ, which is what Christians are. Witnesses to Christ. Uh, not just in their actions, but in their uh, witness of the gospel. You witness to the gospel, you will hear over and over again, uh, verses 3 and 4, Psalm 123. Uh, something of this, uh, uh, the book of Acts, uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 20, 22, the apostles strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. For what reason? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So again, uh, I think that is the historic occasion of Psalm 123. Uh, and the psalmist tells us how to respond. Uh, in the first place, uh, as, we, as we undergo the persecution of those who heap contempt upon our lives and our witness, uh, we're to wait for the grace of God. Uh, we're to wait for the grace of God. And we are charged with waiting on the Lord for relief from the wicked, uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, the concept of waiting is defined by looking to the Lord for relief. And so the text begins, to you, to you I lift up uh, my eyes. It's first in the word order, not just in the English Bible, but in the Hebrew Bible. It rivets us to the preeminence of God in times of struggle and persecution. Uh, that we all go through from different venues, I understand. But certainly when you're attempting to be faithful to the Lord and people uh, try to heap scorn upon you to leave off, uh, it's to you, the Lord God, that we turn. Uh, first, first in our lives, first in our hearts. Uh, indicating the preeminence of God in time of trial. And... Uh, if the Bible is true, and it is, as we witness, we will uh, enter times of trial. And the psalmist is telling us of the preeminence of the Lord God that we look to for relief, for relief. And we go to Him because He is supreme and sovereign, and we go to Him because He is the ultimate remedy. And ultimately, He is the sole object of our trust and confidence. And the psalmist uh, tells us why. Uh, why we go to Him for a remedy, why we go to Him in trust and dependence. Uh, and it is because to you who are enthroned in the heavens. Uh, the Hebrew Bible is a literally uh, to the one sitting in the heavens. Uh, 
that means he is uh, enthroned, he is sitting upon his throne, uh, which is the, the pinnacle of all reign and rule. Uh, if we were to collapse all of the thrones of this earth, collapse all of the offices of presidents and prime ministers and kings and potentates, uh, they wouldn't even give a shadow of the glory of the majesty of the throne of God. Uh, and the majesty of the angelic host uh, and the spirits of the saints. Uh, it is this that we turn to. The one sitting in the heavens. Uh, and, and, and it is the reminder of the preeminence of theology, the sovereignty of God, that as we live in our witness and as we share our witness for Jesus Christ, and we encounter the scorn of the world, and perhaps even the professing church uh, that is losing its grip upon orthodoxy. Uh, we are riveted by the majesty of God uh, who bids us to carry on because of who He is. Uh, God is the sole King of the universe. That He has no, no equals. There are no equals. Uh, part of the degradation of the theology of the world in which you and I live is that God has many equals. There are many religions. There are many roads to heaven. You forget that to great peril to your soul. And, and it is the psalmist who is fixating our hearts and minds upon the glory of God. He's the sole king of the universe. He has no competitors and no equals whatsoever. All are his servants, including false religion that he will someday come and destroy. And his tenure is eternal. He has no threats. I love Psalm 2, verse 4. Uh, a great uh, uh, revolution has broken out upon uh, God's earthly king, David. And what's the response of God? Is he biting his fingernails? Is he worried? Is he rubbing some beads? No, you know the answer. He who sits in the heaven laughs because of who he is. No one can overthrow his earthly rulers when he appoints them to rule. And certainly no one can overthrow him because of who he is. Uh, another great uh, reminder of the theology here is Psalm 115.3. That our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He's doing whatever he pleases. The context is a polemic against idolatry. Who was engaging idolatry in Psalm 115? Well, of course, the nations, but some of, uh, of the countrymen of the psalmist were engaging in it. He's reminding them that only our God sits in the heavens and does what he pleases. Uh, and idols can't see or hear or speak because they're lifeless. Only our God is alive. He is enthroned in the heavens. As you encounter all of these threats in the world, remember the God who presses you into duty and witness. What follows in our text are two similes from a household. And the comparison is meant to teach us to wait upon the Lord. As we encounter persecution in our journey to heaven, and we will, we must wait upon the Lord. We are, we are not to leave the journey. We're not to turn to the right or to the left. Uh, we're to continue. And in our continuance, we're to wait upon the Lord. In the Hebrew Bible, there are no verbs. Uh, 
it's obviously to look. Uh, if you look at the text, the verse 2, as the eyes of the servant look, look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. As we're journeying in the midst of scorn and persecution, we look to the Lord. Everyone else is looking to their neighbor, certainly to their governments. We look to the Lord our God to preserve and to keep us. The servant and the maid are riveted to their master or mistress for wisdom, for guidance, and of course, for deliverance and protection, for help in a time of distress when uh, the way uh, becomes narrow and tight and difficult and we're bid to journey onward. I love the confession of Psalm 27, verses 2 and 3. When evildoers come upon me, the psalmist says, to devour my flesh, my adversaries, my enemies, they stumbled and fell. That's why we wait upon the Lord. Because He will give our enemies their due. And in due time, they will stumble and fall. Ah, but the beauty of the beauty, the majesty of, of verse 3. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise up against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Uh, so we continue onwards. We look to the Lord. In times of persecution, we wait for His grace. Uh, and that if all the armies of the world were, were to come to besiege us, uh, in looking to the Lord, we are to be confident because of who He is. And what is true of the servant of the maid, of the common everyday household, must be true of us in the faith. Uh, the simile implies dependence. And throughout our journey, we're to depend upon God. And our King, who sits in the throne, who sits upon the throne of the heavens, doing what He wills, is dependable and trustworthy. And, and I will tell you in your journey as a Christian moving to heaven, you will never graduate from depending upon God. You will never come into some golden period of time in your life where you do not every day have to say, God, this day I look to you for grace to help me, to preserve me, to keep me. You will never graduate from dependence. And if you ever do, you've taken a wrong turn. And you will be in a wrong place. And there follows a temporal indicator that is profound in its majesty. The importance that we encounter difficulty in our journey uh, that we're to look to the Lord and wait and dependence upon Him until, the psalmist says, until He is gracious to us. Beautiful picture of this in Philippians 3, verse 20. Uh, our citizenship is in the heavens from which we eagerly await the coming, the coming of our Savior. We wait eagerly, expectantly, and, and this is the theology of Psalm 123. Until He be gracious to us, Philippians 3 verse 20 is the end state of His grace where He comes to transform our bodies into conformity uh, with, with uh, 
with eternal glory. And the eternal weight of glory will fall upon us and make us entirely and totally, immutably, and forever, ever glorious. That's one of the reasons we continue moving forward, looking to the Lord until He be gracious to us. The Greek translation is until He have compassion upon us. In our struggles, it's a, it's a weight of difficulty until God be compassionate to us. It implies a need which is spelled out in the following verses. But more importantly, God is the source of grace. The journey is dangerous, and He is temporal and eternal relief. And the object of waiting is God's grace, or more particularly, perhaps, uh, deliverance. Uh, And we need grace every moment of every day. Every moment of every day. Uh, This uh, word for grace that's used here, it's used uh, by Moses in Exodus 33, verse 19, that God will be gracious upon whom He will be gracious. And He will be gracious always to His people who are on His journey, His way, moving uh, to His eternal home. Uh, The sovereignty of the grace of God. It's the majesty of that which comforts us. The sovereignty of the grace of God. uh, That He can do as He wills, and He will in our lives, protecting and keeping us. And of course, uh, the outcome is a certain Uh, because He is sovereign King. But it's the timing that that enforces the waiting until we look to the Lord until He should be gracious to us. Uh, Psalm 56, verse 1, Be gracious to me, O God, for a man has trampled upon me. Uh, Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. Who's he writing of? Well, perhaps it's the Gentile nations, but perhaps it's his own countrymen. Uh, We sometimes fail uh, to remember the instruction of the Scriptures that sometimes the greatest threat of all is the danger from within. The danger from within. Psalm 56.2, My foes have trampled upon me all day long. For they are many who fight proudly against me. The answer is in Psalm 57.1. Be gracious to me, O God. Be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in You. And in the shadow of Thy wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. The temporal indicator that we continue to wait upon the Lord, look to the Lord until the destruction, the persecution passes by. It is temporal too. But we uh, continue uh, immutably in our journeying uh, because of who our great God is. Again, the challenge is waiting. Of all the failures of so many men, it's the failure to wait. And in our culture, it's particularly a failure because in our culture, uh, everything is instantaneous. You hit the delete key, it's gone. Uh, You click on something, the screen becomes full. Uh, You can can reach across the world in seconds. You can order something from a distant continent in in but a a blink of an eye. That's why waiting upon the grace of God is so hard. But that's faith. In faith, we apprehend that God is sovereign, and that's why we wait. 
Uh, the key is the object and a sovereign God. Uh, and uh, find this oftentimes, in, uh, even in the church. Well, God's not making me happy, I'm out of here. Uh, well, God didn't make me rich, I'm out of here. Uh, I see difficulties encounter people in their physical lives, and, well, if that's the way God's going to treat me, I'll show Him. That's a failure to wait. Uh, and it's a great danger. It imperils your soul. It's a violation of, uh, of, of the psalm. Uh, it's a violation of so much of Scripture. Uh, we're to wait upon the Lord uh, until He be gracious to us, until the destruction passes by. We're also charged with praying that God would grant relief, verses 3 and 4. Uh, the psalmist uh, petitions God for grace, uh, because of his particular historic circumstances. Uh, and I would remind you, if you're a Christian, you are a witness, not just in your life, but in your words, as you share the gospel, as you share the faith. I promise you, contempt will come and knock upon your door. It will make a meal for you and make you eat it. Uh, and that is exactly what the psalmist is telling us. Be gracious to us, O Lord, be gracious to us, for we are greatly filled with contempt. Our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. Uh, the Greek translation has, it has the words, have mercy upon us. Uh, and then it gives us the reasons. Uh, scorn uh, is uh, poured upon us. Uh, the word uh, uh, contempt is... Uh, is uh, that which uh, embraces the cry of the prayer of the psalmist. Uh, the word, uh, the verb filled is uh, literally the verb to be satisfied. It's very strange here. Think about it. Uh, for I'm, I'm very satisfied with contempt. Uh, not in the sense that you're okay with it, but in the sense that you are full of it. You can't take one more scornful word. Uh, and so that's why you keep looking to the grace of God. Uh, uh, it is as if the, the contempt and the uh, scorn of the, of the proud uh, is, is, there, is the daily diet of the righteous man in life and in word. Uh, the word contempt has the idea of to regard as insignificant or unimportant, leading, leading to spite. Uh, the Greek cognate, and this is one of the reasons I think Jesus was contemplating uh, this psalm uh, before he goes to meet his enemy in the cross. Uh, the Greek cognate uh, is, is used of Jesus in Mark uh, chapter 9, verse 12, and Luke 23, and verse 11. Mark 9, 12, and he said to them, Elijah does come first and restore all things, and yet how is it written that the Son of Man, that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Isn't it interesting that we eat this daily diet of the scorn of the proud and the vain, uh, but our Savior ate it to the fullest and uh, never, never left off his journey. Never. Never did he turn back. Never did he turn away. 
Never was he intimidated. Uh, Luke 23, 11, and Herod with his soldiers after treating him with, with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Mocking him, treating him contemptuously. And so that is why I speculate that Jesus was thinking of this very song as he goes to the immediacy of the cross, reminding us that we walk in a measure of the same journey uh, when we witness in our lives, but also our words, our words, the glory of the gospel. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, used of God in 1 Samuel 8, 7 and 10, 19, where, where God tells God tells a prophet, uh, you think they're rejecting you? They're really rejecting me. You think they want an earthly king? No, they're really rejecting me as their king. And that is why we must continue the journey. Uh, because we serve no earthly king. We serve the king of heaven. And he bids our loyalty because he was loyal to us, even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If you're not a Christian, uh, this is the uh, center of gravity that is meant to unravel your hope and faith uh, in the world in which we live. Uh, that, uh, that apart from trusting Christ, uh, you will get the eternal contempt of God. Uh, and he will win, and you will eat it eternally. Eternally. Uh, our hope as Christians is that Jesus uh, suffered the contempt of, of the cross, the rejection. And I share this because uh, we, we will encounter contempt, but uh, all the more to reflect upon him who suffered the violence of it all to the end state, to the shedding of blood. Uh, you, you, uh, you should be reminded in this to be very careful about complaining uh, because uh, when you're mistreated, you're, you're not alone. Spirit of the living Christ is with you. Uh, the contempt is defined as the scoffing of those who are at ease in the proud. Maybe people of privileged position, uh, someone who has some measure of power over you. Uh, it is uh, uh, seen uh, in a very beautiful way, I think, the picture of it in uh, the book of Amos. Uh, Amos... Uh, Chapter 6 in, in, in verse 1. Uh, because here, uh, here it's God who's going to give the contempt. He's going to pass it out. Uh, Amos chapter 6 and verse 1 and then verses 4 to 6. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. It's one of the reasons I share with you that one of the greatest dangers you will face will be from professing Christians. Uh, God is, uh, is saying, woe to, to those of you who are proud and he's speaking to the countrymen who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure in the mountains of Samaria, the distinguished men of the foremost of nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Writing to the sons of Israel uh, who think they don't need to depend upon him anymore. They can depend upon mountains and governments and whatever. Whatever. Look at verses 4 and 6. Those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who improvise to the sound of the harp and like David have composed songs for themselves, who drink wine from sacrificial bowls 
while they anoint themselves with the finest of oil, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. What a great picture of of some Christian churches today. we We don't have to grieve over anything today because there's no more sin. It's only mistakes and uh, and yet, they're not grieving, grieving over sin because their wealth uh, has masked it. Uh, they don't see the full-blown reality. They have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they will now go into exile at the head of the exiles and the sprawlers banqueting will pass away. You know what? Great picture of the gospel here that in Jesus Christ, as we prosecute the journey in life and in witness, we'll enter the banquet and it will never pass away. Never pass away. What a compelling uh, message of the gospel to come to Christ. uh, That the banquet is reserved. And in Christ, you will get there and enter it. And it will never end. Amos, it's a picture of those who do not need God and therefore mock those that do. They think they have everything they need in life, and maybe they do, but God will come. 2 Chronicles 36.16, but they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised His words and scoffed at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against His people until there was no remedy. Chilling words. They reject the prophets. They reject the Savior, Jesus Christ. Efface the remedy. And the remedy is gone for them forever. That's why we look to the grace of God. We wait for the grace of God in prayer. Because our remedy knows our needs. is open to our prayers. And has the full, complete immutable ability to rescue us uh, when the time is right, whether temporally or eternally. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 24, 26, Because I called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. Writing to the sons of Israel, the youth, the youth full of, of uh, leisure, full of having a good time, Lady Wisdom is in their midst calling them. Uh, They refused. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will laugh at your calamity, Lady Wisdom says. I will mock. I will mock when your dread comes. In the end, it is God who will mock when the dread comes and there is no remedy and the destruction will never pass by. It will abide eternally immutably, irrevocably. That is why we are the reverse. We look to the grace of God. We wait in prayer. And we continue on our journey. In truth uh, and in witnessing. Uh, I, uh, I believe that uh, in some of the American church, uh, I hope it's a minority, but I sometimes wonder, uh, because truth is in the minority in an evil day. Uh, but I wonder if uh, historic orthodoxy is not becoming uh, the minority in this evil day in which we live. Uh, and it is uh, truth 
that we must uphold. Uh, and uh, many, many people, even in uh, the American church, are contemptuous of historic orthodoxy. The great doctrines of the sovereign grace of God, the great doctrines of the terrifying judgment of God are held, held in open derision. It must not be so of us. We must continue faithful, continue moving, looking, hoping until the destruction passes by and we enter the uh, eternal banquet. Uh, beautiful uh, illustration of this in the Gospel, uh, book of the Revelation, uh, chapter 1 and verse 5. Uh, I believe the book of the Revelation is, uh, wit is, is written uh, to shock uh, many professing Christians who are playing fast and loose with their witness and with uh, historic orthodoxy. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, uh, we have a picture of one uh, who is faithful, namely Christ. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness in word and in deed. Uh, and though they heaped scorn upon him, though they held him in derision and contempt, uh, though they spat upon him and set a crown of thorns upon his, on his head, he remained the faithful witness. Those words are alluded to of a hero in, in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 13 of Antipas, who was killed before, uh, because of his faith, because he was a faithful witness. Uh, and, 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 and he would not be intimidated. Uh, and, and Jesus says of him, uh, my witness my faithful one. He's living out the very reality of Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. And that's another reason we should continue on in the journey, uh, even though we are uh, sometimes intimidated to leave, intimidated to turn back, or intimidated or tempted to take a detour, that we continue on because the faithful witness is enthroned in the heavens and is our ultimate remedy. And that we can wait upon Him uh, until He give us grace, uh, either temporally or certainly eternally. Uh, and He will, because He's the faithful witness to His church. Uh, and that faithful witness abides with us. Uh, 10,000 witnesses in the world in which you and I live in. The vast majority of them seek to turn us from the faith, tactically and strategically, to leave off historic orthodoxy, uh, to join the prevailing crowds, to have a good time, uh, forget about sin to heap scorn upon the only remedy, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, but we, we, sh we should live otherwise uh, because of the faithful witness. Uh, we, uh, uh, we should be aware that, uh, uh, that 
contempt sometimes gives birth to physical danger. And uh, we, we are not exempt from that either. A New Testament parallel in our Lord's uh, uh, Psalm 123 is uh, conceptually uh, used of, of our Lord and His three disciples uh, in His impending arrest. Uh, he knows that His great trial is near. He withdraws with James, Peter, and John to pray in Gethsemane. He prays in preparation. Like we are bid to pray in Psalm 123, uh, He is praying. Uh, perhaps mulling in his mind this great song of the contempt he is about to face, and looking to the Lord as, as a servant would look to his master. We're not far removed from the Olivet Discourse in which Jesus makes repeated reference to preparation, to watchfulness, and to readiness. He is the epitome, and he is ready. And resolve does not come to the unprepared. It comes from preparation and prayer. That's why we are to pray. We're to look to God for grace. We're to pray for that grace to come. But the three are not. They fall asleep. What does Jesus say to them? Again, uh, Matthew 26, uh, 41. Keep watching and praying. Keep looking to the King in heaven, depending upon Him, waiting for grace. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Uh, two components of this. Both words are present imperatives. And both engage the coming of great danger in which resolve is essential. Watching means being vigilant, and diligent, so one is not caught by surprise and tempted to compromise and leave off. And prayer is for the grace to be faithful in the trial. You and I know that the three fail. He does not. He is the faithful witness. Uh, the center of gravity of our salvation uh, that cannot be undone. No. He is ready. In the grace of God, in time, He will recover His three. Uh, but it does remind us, continue in the journey. Uh, watching, looking for the grace of God, praying uh, lest we uh, turn aside, uh, forget the way, uh, leave the truth, and, and embrace danger to our souls. Uh, so we are to watch and to pray. It's my speculation Jesus was thinking of this psalm, but I'm not so sure given the scorn contemptors heaped upon it. But it speaks to us uh, to continue on, uh, to go the distance, to be faithful, because he is faithful. He is faithful. Uh, and thankfully, uh, in the midst of the ridicule and the contempt of the proud and the vain, we continue faithful. Because of the one enthroned in heaven who hears and who answers and who is always sufficient for the day of evil.